coming up next on the health hustle always stay lean and there's like this term and i just learned it a few years ago it's called when we were planning our wedding it's called scope creep Project managers know it like crazy. Everything is longer and more expensive than when you started and what you thought, right? My, my mentor always talks about that. He's like, everything worthwhile in life is way harder and takes longer than you think it does. And I think that's a premise to always remember because it's okay if shit gets delayed. It's okay if it doesn't go perfect. You just got to stay kind of relentless on it and stay patient with it. But if you're smart and calculated and stay lean, you'll get there. And yes, I had some great lucky things that happened to me that gave me a boost, but also I fucking earned it. I worked my ass off. I know that I, I could outwork anybody because I was willing to do it. And I think a lot of people who, if they get out of school and they're thinking about starting a thing, you got to make sure you have some experience to stand on. And you also got to be ready. Like it's going to be harder than you want, but it's totally worth it. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On this show, we distill down the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Corey Hibben, and on this episode, I had a chance to sit down with Kyler Brown of Wellsport. He's a chiropractor by trade, but more so, he is a well of rich business knowledge on how to actually build a business that scales by learning how to stay lean and avoid positioning yourself as the so-called guru of your practice. Everyone wants to be the guru until it comes time to scale or sell your business. On this episode, we get into why Kyler thinks patient care is the best job in the world, how to break free from the patient mill machine, why you should start by telling people what you're not, the depths of how to scale your business, the challenges of management, building systems, why it sucks to work with athletes, the entrepreneurial addiction, his most expensive mistake, why you should build your personal network, mastermind groups, and so much more. If you haven't already, do us a huge favor and please subscribe and write us a review. This show is about helping health and fitness professionals to build a business that fits your lifestyle by giving us a review. It helps other people find the show and join us on the journey. If you're looking for simple and actionable tips on how to market and grow your health business, click the link in the description and sign up for my Three Tips Tuesday newsletter. Three tips every Tuesday to help you keep those leads coming. Also, if you need help with building your website, I have a free checklist guide specific for health and fitness professionals that you can find on my website. Without further ado, mm, let's go. Kyler Brown, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. What do you call chiropractors that love their job? I don't know. You tell me. A crack addict. <laughs> I've heard a lot. I've actually heard some about my own name, Kyler Practic. Um, a lot of people are trying to take my first name, and they're like, you should do this. I've heard that like 20 times. Um, I, never, I, that's I generally try to tell people, you know, the modern rehab person, let's not get so stuck on a license, you know? Oh, yeah. We got to be legal and all, but at the same time, like the modern iteration of what a chiro or physio or even a good strength coach, it's like we all look similar, you know? Right. And you're all just trying to make people happier and healthier. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you I think every industry is living down as preconceived. Mm. Oh, chiro's just crackbacks or whatever. And I obviously really don't want to be known as someone who does that. Um, so, anyways, but yeah, that's pretty funny. The crack addict thing is. I've heard it. The lumbar yard. I think that was from Seinfeld. <laughs> I've heard that one. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of like Cairo, let's mm-hmm. get into the origin story. So why Cairo and how did you get into it? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, especially in like the active sports rehab world, I was an athlete. I played low level college basketball, chronic knee stuff, saw the kind of punch the clock orthopedic guy who's like, well, you're playing a lot. It's going to hurt. And then we had a team Cairo, who's a guy who's just kind of volunteering his time to our program. And he helped me a lot really fast. And I was like, where the hell have you been my whole like six years I've been playing with knee pain. And so that's when I really started to look into it. You know, you look back at what your parents did and stuff. And like, I was kind of in that almost graduated, which direction have I big ideas, but not executing anything. And my mom just kind of very covertly was like, you should go talk to this guy. And he was a Cairo in her town and went and talked with him. And he's like, yeah, just call the school and sign up. And all of a sudden, I guarantee you, she told that guy, get him to sign up for this. You know? <laughs> so you look back and you're like, thanks mom. You know? So yeah, I went to Cairo school, um, Palmer West out in California, kind of small at the time was one of the better ones. I think it still is, but I think financially and stuff, I just heard they're going to close their doors, which kind of bums me out. All um, the Palmers or just, no, the- just the one in California. Hmm. I think it, I don't know the answers, but my theory would be cost of space, leases, enrollment, yada, yada, right? Who knows? Hmm. But I enjoyed my time there. had great professors. It was definitely way more evidence-based sports-based, which is how I like to practice. And that kind of just led me down the road of getting different certs and trying to shape who I was going to be in the rehab world. Would you do it again? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You love Cairo that much? Yeah. I like, I like patient care. I will never stop doing patient care. I think it is on the good days. If you focus on the positive, the best job in the world. Mm. And I've realized not to sound like a, you know, a guy who knows it all, but 
I definitely know that um, what we're doing with my company and, and how I've built, I've, I'm definitely provided for myself and my family as much as I could ever wanted. And so I'm really enjoying that part of it. And it, my career's evolved. But when people just get stuck in the, the minutia or they focus on the negative or like those patients that are kind of tough, it can definitely be a grind and wear you down. And I've been there. I, we all have those days, right? There's a day you have bad allergies and then someone comes in complaining about their shoulder and you're like, well, I can't even see straight. My head hurts, you know? And as a pro, you got to rally, right? Mm. Um, so those are the hard days. But at the same time, you know, I have a good friend who blew out his Achilles. He doesn't even live in this state and we've been helping him with his rehab. And he sent me like the sweetest video the other day of just how, man, you've helped me so much. And he has someone local who's helped him too. And he's just one of these really mindful, appreciative guys. And when you get to do that and be part of someone's story, it's really fun. And for me, that's the part that's most rewarding. It's not necessarily the famous person or the person you talk about. It's just the person who's like appreciates the heck out of it. When did you feel like you really were starting to help people? Because I think oftentimes people get into healthcare and they don't really feel like they're making a difference. They feel like they're just kind of a cog in a wheel, just going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that a lot in our industry now because I've seen a huge swing, um, Cairo for sure, but even more so in physical therapy of people saying, I'm going to do my own thing and break out of that kind of hegemony or the system. Generally speaking, I think what's going on is the machine that scales is not good healthcare, period. It's, I'm sorry, but good healthcare is catered to the individual. It is designed for what they want to do. It takes into account their whole story. Not everyone walks in with the same deal. And if you're gonna do that well, there's basically one or two ways to do it that I've seen. Otherwise, if you're trying to scale it, systemize it, have five patients for one, and the, the treatment is dictated by what insurance is gonna reimburse, you're gonna hate it. Because the vast majority of decision-making is made by a person not in the room. It's not the practitioner to the patient, it's other factors. It's the boss at your big hospital or it's the insurance reimbursement number. And so that's where I think is the killer. And so I'm someone who did that. Um, I broke free and knew all along that I was unemployable, as I like to say. Um, but at the same time, I think that's where the pendulum is swinging um, towards a lot of people doing their own thing. And that's kind of where I know we're going to talk about a little bit, but like my other new side project with the physio business Academy, I'm just really passionate about helping the people that I, I don't get to approve people, but the people I approve of, I want them to kill it. Cause there's a lot of hamstrings in our town. There's a lot of hamstrings worldwide. Like the people who are in it for the right reasons should kill it and crush it. And I think a lot of well-meaning practitioners make mistakes along the way. And I'm just trying to share my mistakes and coach people up. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, the direction it's headed is a lot more of real relationships and people just trying to solve problems for their tribe, if you will, rather than trying to, how can we get 200 more patients a week out of this place? Right. You're screaming directly to the people that listen to the show in terms of like so many people have had that story of like feeling like they're in a mill, they're mm -hmm. burnt out on patient care, and then they try to find an alternative. And you're basically saying, if I'm hearing correctly, which is really smart now that I'm hearing it out loud, is that you're taking away this mentality of like, how do we scale, get more client or get more patients, get more people through the door, move faster. And you're doing to a different model of like, how do we just provide really, really good care to this group of people mm -hmm. and serve them directly? Am I hearing that right? Yeah, totally. I mean, let's be honest. All of us want to not only pay off our loans, but we want to buy a house and why not have some extra spending money? Like, I think one of the things that happens in academia is it, it's not totally frowned upon, but it's kind of given a shade of negativity of trying to make money. It's okay to make money, right? But you want to make money, in my opinion, where when you're with your kids and you see a patient at the grocery store, they're excited to see you. They're like, your dad helped me a lot. Like those moments are, you can't put a dollar amount on that. Versus if you're like, oh man, that guy's a shyster and they don't even say hello and it's weird and awkward, that's a crappy moment. And so you never want to have a business where that happens, I think. The hardest part about our world, I think, from the monetary side is, you know, if you go to buy a sweater, you really don't need to trust the owner. <laughs> but our world, you do. So I'm selling my trust to you, right? And hopefully you've come in my doors with someone built that in, like it's a referral or whatever, right? But it, it's a multi-layered thing when, in our world where the commodity we're selling is my recommendation. And I think we're all trying to pave a new path in an environment where other people try to, you know, rack them and crack them 
or they try to sell you a bunch of supplements you don't need. And so a lot of the patients are kind of their guard up, right? Um, one of the things I was talking about today in our Zoom class with our mentorship was it's almost like when you have that marketing moment or that moment where you're trying to connect with either another professional, like maybe an orthopedic surgeon, the first thing you do is say what well, I'm not, right? Because they have a preconceived idea on what a Cairo is and a PT or even a strength coach, right? If you, someone says you're a trainer, a good chunk of people say, oh, you're a guy who got a weekend cert and you're at a box gym, you don't know anything, mm. right? Someone says a Cairo, you crack everything, you don't know anything about muscles or rehab. Someone says physical therapy, all you're gonna do is tell me it's gonna take forever and don't do anything, right? <laughs> and we all know that stuff's not the modern way. Evidence doesn't support it. And we wanna empower people, but it's, it's a tricky thing. We have to live down previous reps before we get to the trust moment. You know what's really fun for me about this show is that I get to hear a lot of these conversations about like what's kind of up and coming in just health and fitness and healthcare as a whole. Like even recently I had a conversation with a guy here in town who's more on like the health tech side of things and they're basically creating a platform that shows you exactly how much your healthcare cost is gonna be prior to you actually getting the services. Cause like healthcare for as long as I can remember has been something where it's been a black box. It's like all of a sudden you get a check in the mail and you're like, what the hell is this? I don't even know what I signed up for, right? And so like, there's this move to like find more clarity in the industry. And then you hit on something that I wanna dive a little deeper in on this idea of like trust, right? And I think there's been a huge lack of trust in the healthcare industry for sure. Like you can, you can feel it. How would you recommend somebody say they're a practitioner, whether PT, OT, Cairo, whatever it is, and they're maybe new in their practice? Like what are the things they can do to establish more trust rather with maybe other physicians or even their patients? A lot of people are kind of forced into what school teaches you, which is kind of either liability based or orthopedic test them to death. Like, let me figure out what your diagnosis code is. Mm. And I always kind of laugh because I guarantee you all the movement specialists that are listening to this, you can call it IT band syndrome all you want. They're not moving well. Something else is causing that. You can call it plantar fasciitis. Sure, that's the ICD-10 code. But what's the real problem? And so what I always talk to my docs and the people I'm training when we onboard is get to their story and what they want to do and then figure out what their life is like. And you're halfway there and then have the nuts to say, I'm not the right person for you. If you refer someone out to someone who fixes them and hits a home run, that person will send you three patients. And, and that's where I think I get not to try to float my boat, but I get this once a week where people are like, I just wanted your assessment for this guy because I don't know where to go, right? It's my husband, my partner, my neighbor. Just, I said, have him come in, check him out, see what you think he should do. And if you're a doctor, that's what you should be doing, mm -hmm. in my opinion. If you're a person who just hypervolts everyone's leg, you're ignoring your entire education, in my opinion. You're giving someone a service that they could kind of do on their own. So then when times get tough or inflation goes up, like right now, maybe they don't come see you because you're just a guy who hammers their leg, hmm. right? And so it's like, where are you positioning yourself in the community? Are you positioning yourself in a person who has accumulated a ton of education and can really help them get a plan? Or are you someone who's just giving them a service? It's kind of like the difference between like being the thought leader versus just like being the cog in the wheel. Yeah, and no one wants to be a cog. Right. It's, but I would say it's okay to be a cog in the right wheel. Mm. Right. Like my wife always says she rolls her eyes, but I, you know, management is tough. None of us get management training, right? We go to school a long time and then we still don't know crap about running a business. Right. I'm lucky to have a ton of mentors in my life that have helped me, but I still am flying by the seat of my pants. But I always tell her, I was like, you know, my retirement plan is I'm going to become someone's best associate ever. <laughs> I'll be like, I'll give you 20 hours a week. I will kill it, give you all the effort. And then I'm out. You figure out how to run payroll. You figure out the rent increases. That's on you. But like, and she rolls her eyes. She goes, there's no way. And I'm like, watch me. <laughs> because management is a, it's a big animal. It's a big animal. And a lot of people think it's easy. It's not. I think whenever management went well for me and like smooth, it was because the people I was managing had nothing to do with me. Every time. My rock star people found me. I didn't find them. So it has more or less to do with being better at hiring than it is maybe necessarily managing. I think for me, you know, I, I've been hired a hundred people, right? I've had, I have to do the math, close to probably 10 associates now in my career, maybe 12. And not all of them stayed with me. One of my mentors is a really successful, genuinely amazing guy who wastes his time helping me. I mean, he's a big shot. And he always says, 60% of people will leave your company for one reason or another. Their spouse, their parents get sick. There's a million reasons why someone will leave a company, right? You're lucky if 40% stay. 
And, and that's kind of a weird thing to think about when you're talking about scaling, right? And I think that's where a lot of, you know, physio, chiro, PT people fall short when they're trying to scale is they almost build that in too much, I think, where they make it so not attractive to the people they want to hire that like, why would anyone take that job? Right? Because they're kind of protecting their baby that they built. Right? So like going back to my origin story, you know, I bartended on weekends and got crap rent and just made it happen. At the time I had two partners, we're still friends and we kind of diverted because we just had kind of slightly different goals and it was actually a great breakup. I mean, it was always kind of stressful, and like uncertain, but we're still great friends and we work together a lot closely in a couple things. But like early on, it's your baby mm-hmm. and you're creating this thing. And then when some new hotshot shows up, I have a guy actually you should have as a guest on here. He was my second associate. Could not have gone worse. <laughs> like, and we laugh about it now because he called me, I don't know, year something like that later and he's like bro because he had an associate totally burn him and he's like i'm sorry (laughs) and he would laugh if he hears this because he's great and he's killing it now and i'm happy for him but like it couldn't have gone worse and my first doc dr jordan who's been with me 10 years he works with ut football like he's killing it i got lucky with jordan like jordan was 90 percent of the reason that succeeded right so then i thought okay we're busy we need another guy or girl and I hired this guy and it just crashed and burned like in seven months. Like it wasn't even like it was two years. What happened? We just butted heads over all the minutia, like half roommate stuff, mm. half expectations. I didn't make expectations clear half his default expectations were on another planet from mine. Right. It was communication breakdown. It was expectations. It was all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the day, like we both, I never forget, like we had a couple of drag outs and way too much work than it needed to be. And then we were going to meet for dinner and he and I were both like dumping each other, you know, and we laughed about it. We're like, dude, this isn't working. Right. And we're like, absolutely not. And, and what was cool about the way he left, right. Is he left, he could have told me to go a lot of terrible places. Right. And there's always emotion involved if you care, right? That's how humans are. But to his credit, he's like, let's not do this anymore. I go, I totally agree. How do we leave on the best for both of us? And we figured it out. And that's why we're still cool. And I think, I hope to say every associate I've ever had, like we've parted on good terms because of that 60% rule. I know not everyone will stay with me forever. And as less they're trying to really just actively stick it to me, I want them to do great. I really do because I want my company to be a place where, man, I did two or three years there. I learned a lot. They were a stepping stone for me and I want them to do well. If you're looking at joining a practice and that doc just wants to plug you in and have you get their dry cleaning and do all these things, they're not really that invested in you as a professional developing. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen failure to scale is doctors either aren't ready for it, either numbers wise, like they're busy, but they don't have overflow or maybe they do have overflow where they're like maxed out, but they don't, they have too much ego to where they're actually going to facilitate that new doc or third, maybe they don't even have a revenue plan where that doc, it makes sense for them to work hard and grind. Mm. There's no kind of ROI for that new doc. Right. Um, the thing I'm always saying in my practice is if you make the pizza bigger, I can share pizza all day. If you just want my pizza, like why don't I just eat it? Right. And I think that's the expectation gap with new hires and existing practices is the existing practice just wants their pizza. And they're like, cool, I'm not going to pay you a lot and go market. And new grads are like, well, I want to learn skills. I don't feel hundred percent ready. I want to work on your patients. I want to be part of your cases. And that doctor's like, well, I don't want to pay you money. Just sit in the corner. Right. There's a big gap there. Right. And, and that's the stuff that you need to work through if you're going to scale. And that's what we've done. You know, I am light years ahead of where I was 10 years ago. And I still have got, every time I open up the hood, I'm like, oh, we got a lot of work to do, right? But that's been the, the interesting thing I've seen now that we're coaching more practices is the failure to scale is usually, they're not totally realistic with their real volume. It's kind of like a golfer. Like, what, you, what do you shoot there? And they give you their best score ever, <laughs> right? It's not. Um, the shoe putter, yeah. We average this times. many a week, yeah. but one time I did 100, you know? Yeah. So. I think that's one thing is they're just not ready for it. And then the other side of it is they're not put, they're not walking in the other person's shoes. I was an associate and I had a decent kind of revenue. If I increased, I got a little bit extra, but there was no long-term play. And I knew I didn't want to be in New York forever. And he, you know, we worked with two teams. We were in a clinic in Upper West Side, New York. That was so fancy and everyone wanted to be there. And so he knew he could replace me. No problem. Mm. 
And if he's listening to this, he'll laugh his ass off, but it's totally true. And I'll never forget that lunch where I was super nervous. I was telling him I was going to leave and I was going to move. And he's like, fuck, dude, I knew you'd leave one day, you fucking asshole. And like, yeah, he yeah. laughed at me because he's like, you built something here. But I knew he's like, you're from California. You're not meant for New York forever. And, you know, it's, it's great. Like, I think the people who care about you want you to do well. Yeah, and I think there's a, always an important reminder in that story, too, about like how as you as the business owner you're always the one that's most excited most passionate most fulfilled like most really involved in what you're building and every single other person that you hire into that is basically kind of just a watered down version of your vision so like as the business owner like your vision has to be so potent that every time that that vision is passed down to your employees they have to carry some of it but they're never going to carry all of it yes if you're the practice owner it's your baby and you care the most about it but at the same time, it's okay for people to not care as much as you, right? It's okay. Right. That's the expectation. But if you make it a, an environment where they can thrive, wave the magic wand and two years later, they care a lot. Mm. And if you put them in a position where they can kill it, then you've created like permanence. And I think that's the biggest hurdle. I've looked around. I've seen what people do. I have good friends. I graduated Cairo school in 2006. What was that? 16 years ago? So... I've had a lot of friends who are really smart people did better than me on tests who are not practicing anymore. And I look at my friends who's done well, my friends who've struggled or my friends who've built up to just them and they're stuck. Like I have a good buddy I went to school with. He called me. He's like, how do I scale? He's just now realizing he doesn't get time with his kids, right? Because if he's not there, he doesn't make money. Mm. Yes. So his want right now, make more money when he's not there but he, he's created a population of patients who think he's the only guy who knows anything. He's done guru death, right? A lot of people want to be the guru, but don't be the guru. Don't f frame yourself like you're the smartest person ever. A, no one not wants to network with that person. And B, you make yourself successful now, but then you are stuck and married to your practice. And if you go on vacation, you pay for vacation and you pay rent while no one comes in. So your vacation costs you double. The guru pays twice as much for vacation than the person who scaled. What's the solution then? What we've done at Wellsport is it's about a system and it's about making the doctors part of the treatment. And then the doctors got to do their part. They got to actually get good and they've got to get results. And if that happens, people are like, screw you, Kyler. You're not available at this time. I'm going to go see this doctor. And if that doctor gets results and proves themselves and the practice puts them in a position to do so, then you can scale. Going back to the origin story a little, I got pretty good. I would say at soft tissue and pain relief via my associate job. So when I first moved to Austin, I was really that I was like a Cairo who did muscle work, ART, you know, and like you were working the races and you're doing it band stuff. But then after about four years or three years, I was like getting frustrated with how come this person always comes back. Like you were great, man. See in three months when I training season kicks up and old faithful over here starts hurting and that pissed me off. And so I just dove deep on expanding my knowledge base and Coincidentally, you know, this ages me, but the world got better at having shit online. <laughs> when I was first coming out of school, there were really like one and a half systems you could go and take a weekend seminar and have it be worth a shit. Now there's not only the, the, the seminars and certifications you can do virtually, but for about the last 15 years, there's been stuff you could go to almost every weekend where you can learn from some smart people and get a couple things, right? And so I dove deep on that and I ran the math once, I haven't done it lately, but there's about a six year run there where I spent around 30 grand a year on seminars. I was just an accumulator. And luckily my practice was facilitating that because I was just hungry for trying to pull three or four things from every smart person I could. And so, you know, you get that alphabet soup going with all the certifications that, by the way, patients don't care about, but it helped my knowledge base. And so now today I'll have someone come in and they'll get a DNS exercise and the next person I'll be doing SFMA eval and all these multiple tools in the tool belt have helped me be that planner person or that person that hopefully people trust for an evaluation. But guess what? If we now have a plan and I have a team who can execute that plan, you don't need me. Mm. I'm not the guy with the guru thumb, right? That person doesn't exist. And the people who claim that they're experts at manual therapy, you might be great. And I agree that manual therapy, there's some intuitive stuff but you hogtie yourself into any kind of scale if you frame yourself as this like guru type person. You touched on something earlier I want to circle back to about working with athletes. Yeah. I'd just be curious of what your thoughts are on that. It's fun to see people do badass shit that you couldn't do. As an athlete, I couldn't do it. So that's cool. It's definitely name brand. Um, my rant on athletes lately is 
sorry to the guys who I might hear, but if uh, they're the worst to work with because <laughs> their schedules are different, right? Like normal humans exist in this eight to six world that we all live in. They don't. And most of them, if they're a pro athlete, are used to having the team resources whenever they want. Mm. So they need results now. And if you can't see them pretty soon, they will explore someone else. Conversely, if you have established relationship or they trust you a lot, they'll wait for you, but they don't like it. They give you shit for it. So then you're just rolling your eyes the whole appointment, right? right? The other side of it is I always joke, I wish I could charge by the pound um, because some of them are huge, right? The, a lot of people are drawn to that. My quick rant that I'm going to do is I've never been a jersey on the wall guy. My buddy Brandon, shout out, he actually works on the people whose jerseys are on his wall. My favorite story, and I will name no names, is we have a client we see a lot who's a pro football player. And someone said, Hey, I saw your, like in an Instagram, your jersey's on the wall at a different place. Have you been there before? He's like, Who? He never heard of them. And so, my one old man rant, get off my lawn, is don't put jerseys up if you don't know the people. It just, it'll come back to bite you and it looks ugly. Like, it might work for a few years, but then, like, someone's going to figure it out and be like, Yeesh, like Poser City, you know? And so, the jersey thing on the wall works. Like, people are like, Oh, drinking the Kool Aid, right? But, sure. I mean, it's just funny, and I've just never been that guy because, I don't know, maybe I just don't want to come across like I'm bragging. But at the same time, I, you know, hip is a thing. Who cares anymore, right, social media? Sure. But the other side of it is, you know, we have a guy right now who just signed a contract. He had two injuries that he didn't want these teams to know about. So the last thing I should do for his career is put him on social media saying, hey, we're helping him with a stress fracture and this other thing, because now he might not get signed. Dang right. And so I was joking to say, we, we actually are like this mistress that no one wants to talk about because we have these athletes coming through and they're like, Hey, don't tell anybody I'm here, please. You know, I know you guys don't, but please don't because I don't want it to catch wind to spread and be like, Oh, well we're looking at these three football players. And one of these guys has a stress fracture, like, right. Cause that's how the NFL is for sure. Right. But I enjoy working on the pro athlete thing. What I wouldn't tell people to do is chase the official team thing. Personally for me, I have a family. I have three kids. I wanted to be around for my family. And when you work with a team, it is such a grind. And you will be in Iowa on a Tuesday at 10 p.m. And frankly, the teams have people lined up, too. So you can't really negotiate that well. What's uh, I want to circle back to the scaling thing because mm-hmm. we've only briefly touched on it. But like, let's say somebody was in that place where they – they have a decent amount of patience. They feel like they have people coming in the door, but they're having difficulties basically creating the systems, maybe hiring the employees, basically all the things that come with figuring out how to be the person that steps away from this. Because I've had a previous conversation with another PT, Steven, shout out to him on the show, about like that's exactly where he was as he was in that situation of what you were talking about earlier of like I was I was the business, right? Everything yeah. was dependent upon him as the practitioner. Yep. What does somebody do in that situation? Well, and to be clear, I still have those. Hmm. Like some patients will just be like, that's my person and I'll wait. And as a practice, you can't on the, you know, this is me going against your question. You can't force people, right? If they're willing to wait for just you, they're going to do it. And that's why like, for me, it works out because I'm always going to be in patient care and I'm constantly telling them like, look, you waited for, you know, whatever, 10 days to see me. You could have seen Dr. Josh and you'd be feel better last Thursday. Hmm. Right. Like don't give me so much credit. Right. But so like one of the people in my mentorship, three doctor practice, they're uh, up in Vancouver, all of them are slammed and they're trying to scale. Right. They're kind of like a three partner thing and that has its own complexity, but they're pretty aligned. Um, it's a good, it's a good practice, but they have three kids and they're doing the suffrage. Like you're talking about, like, if I don't, if I don't see my patients, I don't make money. Well, the problem we've discovered with them is that they have zero systems on this is what we do here. This is how we do it. This is the treatment plan and who does what on that treatment plan. And you can scale your practice. Even if let's say just for hypothetical, let's say this person needs five visits to get better. What in the treatment plan do you have to do versus what can anyone do? And then where does that fit in? Is that in a shared appointment? Right? Like Arasi does this model where the Cairo does the first little bit and then a rehab tech does the second part, right? Or do you say, hey, visit two, we're gonna utilize the technology or modality, or we're gonna try these exercises. I wrote these exercises down. 
they're going to take you through them. Like there's a hybrid model there where if you just sat down and gave yourself an example patient and said, they're going to be here five times. What are all the things this person needs? Hmm. Now, what are the five things I have to do? Do I not have an answer for here outside of me? And here, what are the other five things that anyone could do? Then how do we figure that out in our business to where that is like a systemized approach? I think that's the first step is being willing to let go and also teach and systemize. Mm. The lead docs, the good ones that I want to work with that mean well, can't let go. They're like, wow, but I love Jim. I'm going to see Jim. Right? Stacy's my girl though. She's fun. I've known her five years. She goes to my church. I got to work on Stacy. I get that. I have those people still. What's fun though for me in my practice is we've actually scaled where Stacy sees me in church and they're like, oh my God, Dr. Ashley crushed it. I'm feeling so much better. I'm like, I had no idea you were in. That's great. Hmm. That was my dream is to actually have people getting better that I never had to work on because that's a real business that's scaling, right? And then you just got to build that stuff up. It, there's no quick fix in my opinion. But I definitely think the first step is doctors who own a practice have to have the ego willing to say, yeah, other people fixed you. I'm not a guru. And these people I've trained and I've spent the time training them. Conversely, that new associate or that person works underneath you they have to be willing to do their part knowing that you are genuinely invested there. So there's a lot of trust involved, right? Uh, the doctor who wants to be an associate and wants to clock in, clock out, and not stay late for that new opportunity, they don't grow. They won't, they, it won't work. Because I think a truth in our field is you get opportunities that aren't fit within your little schedule. And I've had so many patients where I've stayed late and they were like, they connected me to something awesome. Or I helped them out when I didn't need to. Or I just responded in an email. Like I did a little extra and then it turned into a big thing. Like I have, you know, I have clients that people know that I met only because in 2009, I went to his house because he was on the floor in pain and it was a Saturday morning. <laughs> and I've interviewed doctors like, I'm not working Saturdays. I work too hard in school. I'm not doing that. And I'm like, it's a human job. It's human to human stuff. Like you can't make this thing robotic. What I respect about what I've just noticed in this brief time that we spent together is that you're clearly ambitious, but you seem to have this like trait of you're humble enough to have like this like abundance mentality that it seems like you're always just basically trying to lift up the people around you to help them succeed. So ultimately that you, I mean, maybe selfishly don't have to be the one doing all the things one might say, right? Totally. I mean, for me, it's, it's, you know, there's all these like cheesy things like goal setting and stuff. But what I knew was early on and, you know, shout out to the guy I worked for. He worked so freaking hard and he earned all the success he had, but he didn't have the same family dynamic I wanted. Mm -hmm. He didn't have like, you know, I hate the term work-life balance because I think if you own a practice, there is none, but optionality is there if you can get it right. And so I learned a lot from him on how I didn't want to go either. Right. Like I just like, that's not the path I want exactly. And so I think more than anything, there's a lot of bodies. And if you can lift people up, you benefit. If you are a person who always tries to push people down, you might get a little success, but it's very short lived and there's a high turnover, high, high turnover. And then you have a lot of extra work for nothing. Who's been the biggest influence on your life and what did they teach you? I think career wise, I've been such an accumulator. I've got my Mount Rushmore guys that I'm like, I learned this and that was big or I learned that and it was big. Um, principles, not necessarily syllabus. Like that's the biggest thing I'm always talking about at work is there is no checklist. Like you cannot do this thing. Like it's a syllabus. It's not like a pre-flight check. Like I'm about to adjust the neck. It's like that guy's neck is different, but personally, everyone's going to say somebody in their family. I hope I've been lucky to not only have people who are highly involved and invested in me, but also really smart. My dad was the CEO of a bank. Like, so he's really good on credit and finance stuff. My brother's a CFO of a tech company. That guy's helped me along the way so much. Like I mean, he's built spreadsheets for me. Like when COVID was hitting in 15 minutes, he built me cause you know how these Excel wizards are in 15 minutes. He built me like, this is your death runway spreadsheet, depending on what the rules go. Like does Texas shut down? Does COVID kill every, you know? So in 15 minutes, he made me like, this is your runway. These are the moves you got to take. Damn. And it's kind of a fun story now because we didn't have to lay anyone off. Luckily, I think local culture and all these things and local rules, we dropped 50% for a little while, but we actually grew. We were net up the COVID year. 
but that's all because like what my team did and like we worked extra. I joked that we were going to wash cars in the parking lot if we needed to, but like to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have that yes mentality and you have to add value to people. We didn't actually wash cars, but I threatened it because <laughs> I'm not too good for anything, right? Like I said, my first two years or first year, I bartended Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. I'd have a new patient Friday and then they would come into my bar where I was bartending and I would like try to avoid them because I was like, I don't want them to see me. But actually what happened was most people, especially I think it's Austin, they loved it. They're like, dude, that's awesome. I get it. By the way, your office sucked. So I knew you weren't killing it yet, but you're new. So it makes sense. Everybody starts somewhere, right? I don't think you should be ashamed of starting somewhere. I think there's so much to be said about like know thyself of, I always joke that uh, I gave up my, my nine to five so that I can work 24 <laughs> seven right? in some sense. And I think there's yeah. a mentality there to that, right? Like there's some truth to it. I didn't knowingly sign up for 24 seven. I didn't, I just knew that I'm, you know, my brain is that way, but I think if you're really in it, it's not just about dollars. It's just more of the thing you're trying to work on and problem solve. And it becomes like an obsession, if you will. Oh, um, super. Yeah. Very- and that's, what's cool about it. Cause it's rewarding, but that's also what I love about our job. Cause technically, you know, at Wellsport, we get around 25 new patients a week. We are all about graduating people and getting them out. And so because of that, we get a lot of referrals from, you know, other people in the medical community. And so it's a problem solving job and it's really fun. And that satisfies that for me. Like the people who do Sudoku in the airport, I'm always like, I'm tired. Like I'm good, you know? (laughs) Right. Like I, I, we, we got to figure shit out at work all day. Like I'm, let me just stare out the window at those airplanes. (laughs) I'm like with my seven year old going, yeah, that one's blue, man. Yeah. Or maybe purple. Sure. You know, it's funny you say that. I actually think a lot about that, about like, uh, have you ever heard the analogy about how like, uh, your brain's kind of like a battery in the sense of like, you can only pro- solve so many problems in a day. And I feel like I try to reserve like all my problem solving to purely like business related things. Cause I know like everything else is just like not really moving the d- needle or anything. Right. It's like, it's a weird mentality, but it's like, it's true. I literally do that. Like even like clothing, I'm just like, yeah, same crap all the time. I don't even think about it. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally go with that. My work pajamas, we wear the same thing every day. Like I have like 15 of these and I just, it's great. <laughs> right. But, uh yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think recharge and, you know, I used to be that guy. I'm pretty social and I'm a, clearly a talker, but I used to be the guy in the airport who talked to randoms, right? Now, no way. Because I just talk all day. I engage not only coworkers, but the patients all day. Mm. And so I don't really need to have that extra because the, the juice is out of the, the orange, if you will. We need to reload this thing. You know? What's the most expensive mistake you've made? And that could be monetary or that could be emotionally. That's good. Um, I had a big close call. So everybody, especially since I started coaching, but even my friends and myself several times, everybody wants like the one-stop shop because it is cool. It sounds cool. And I can give you 15 reasons why watch out, right? My close call was one of those patients that was really nice that I helped out once and we developed a good relationship. He was going to help me buy a building. I was looking very seriously at acquiring a building for real estate and then potentially having my office in there or just have it be a real estate investment. Side note, the mentor I was speaking about earlier, who's really successful. The first time I mentioned it to him, he didn't care about any ideas. Uh, Does it have an elevator or how many rooms are there? Or are you guys going to do cucumber water in lobby? He, the first thing he said to me, and he didn't know what building it was. He goes, can you park it? And I was like, well, yeah, there's a huge parking lot. Like, of course you can park it. Well, fast forward, we get inspections, $10,000. We pay an architect to do a plan, six more thousand dollars. We have to submit permits, a feasibility study, all these things. We get about 35 grand into it and realize that this lot has a weird drainage for an environmental thing. And there's only two parking spaces for this building that you want to have at any given moment, 50 people there. And because it was qualified as medical, you need to have way more parking because that's just the city rules. So I got all the way down this road, six months of spreadsheets and stress and do I go for it? And I'm writing checks. And all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, I can't park this thing. And I'm like, he was right. And he told me, and I was like, oh, maybe I guess, but why are you talking about parking? This is going to be awesome. Look at the vision, the shiny thing. Like I'll have this badass thing and I'll be able to do whatever I want. Nope. Best thing I didn't do. Two years after that, COVID. Had I had that building with COVID, I don't know where I'd be right now. Because I would have had a huge payment, right? I would have been dying for someone to sublet. Massage therapists couldn't practice at all. Mm. 
most people were just not working because they felt like it was the right thing to do. Like you couldn't have kept that thing alive no matter what. So it was the best close call I had. You know, whatever I lost 30 some was the best 30 grand I ever spent in hindsight because it was just simply like I got out of it at that number rather than signing up for this thing that could have been monumental. So that was a big one. So the thing I always say, like the one-stop shop. So quick side note, the practice I was in in New York, my first job, was inside a that place, the place. It was several thousand dollars a month to be a member. It was designed to be the best healthcare you can do for a group of people. They capped it. And it wasn't like a membership play, like a social club. It was literally like, we can only run like 250 people or whatever. And, you know, I was joking. My first day I walked in like, oh yeah, hey, yeah. He said you were coming. Locker room's there. Go put your bag in there. I walk in the locker room and it's Liam Neeson and Howard Stern talking. Oh, geez. And I'm like, fuck, you guys are tall. And you guys are <laughs> Liam Neeson and Howard Stern. And so that was, that was kind of a slap me in the face. But this business worked because there was actually a trust fund that covered the losses. Even that business where you had the physiatrist from hospital for special surgeries and you had us and you had a full PT clinic downstairs and you had trainers everywhere and nutritionists, it didn't work financially because it's hard. It's hard to make really badass people who are at the top of their profession. It's hard to make it worth it for them when everyone's sharing stuff. It just, it's like a force of nature. So for example, if I had gotten that building, I would have wanted, let's just hypothetically say I wanted a massage therapist in there. Well, I want a certain dollar per hour and it's part of a bigger spreadsheet where that covers the rent and then we're trying to actually make money in this deal, right? Well, a really good massage therapist is gonna say, hey look, I brought in a ton of clients myself. These people are coming back, I'm doing this all myself. There's a guy down the street who will charge me a little less because it's better for them, hmm. right? Or let's say I need to get 85% of the treatment fee from a Cairo appointment as part of this model to feed the monster and to keep it alive. A really good doctor is going to want this stuff tilted in their favor the bigger they go. Right. Because if they're badass, they're going to keep going bigger. They should get more of that pie as they go. And that's how we run our deal. If you don't have that or your business model can't do it, that person's going to leave. So now what happens is you have this big old thing you got to pump gas into all the time to make it run, and the quality drops. There's a reason why the fettuccine Alfredo at Olive Garden is average, but it's the fucking same everywhere. That's how you scale. It has to get watered down. Quality drops because you simplify it, and it's done easily. But you know it's never the best possible, but at the same time, you know what you're going to get. It reminds me of the whole, like, Seth Godin thing. I don't know if you follow Seth Godin at all. He's like a big marketing guy, but he's the guy that wrote uh, Purple Cow, if you're familiar with that book. Nope. So basically the concept and the whole idea behind it is he talks about being remarkable, which basically means being worth making a remark about, basically mm -hmm. being worth talking about. Mm -hmm. And so kind of what you're hitting on is like, if you're just the average whatever of anything, people aren't really going to talk or refer you versus like you are the thing of X, insert whatever you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Now people are going to talk about you yeah, or refer you to somewhere else if somebody else is worth talking about. You definitely want to be that, right? And I don't jive with everyone. I've got a really funny story. I, I curse too much. And I had a patient who... His orthopedic surgeon sent him to us and he'd had three hip surgeries before he saw this guy. And this surgeon said, you don't need another surgery. And this guy's been everywhere. He said like the classic story where it sounds like I'm bragging, right? But basically he'd been everywhere, mostly insurance model stuff. No one really paid attention. He did clamshells at three different PT clinics. And <clears throat> the surgeon said, go see these guys. And we found a breakthrough. He came in four times total. The first two times he was kind of guarded like uh, eye roll. Third time he's like, holy crap, this is the best I've felt in a while. That was the day we had a lot of fun. We joked around and I cursed. In between that visit and the fourth visit, the surgeon calls me and said, hey, this guy called to complain to me because you made him uncomfortable because you're cursing. And I was like, what? I thought we were literally becoming, we we're going friend zone. Like he was happy. I've been the only person that's like solved this thing for him. And not only did he not tell me, hey, man, can you stop cursing? Like, it makes me uncomfortable. He ratted me out. <laughs> like, it was very weird. Long story short, I was able to fix it. I apologized sideways. The point of the story is he came back and we got him good and he's everybody's happy, right? The point of the story is not every patient is going to jive with who you are as a person, mm. right? And that goes back to my thing of like, you want to cast a wide net to be successful, but at the same time, you cannot force who you're not. You can only be who you are. And I think if you're genuinely invested in people, 
your personality will rub some people the wrong way and some people will love it. And that's what you build on. And if you don't try to calculate it, then you won't learn these cheap lessons along the way or expensive lessons. You just kind of go down your road, right? And I think a lot of people, they get sucked into like, you know, the, the crappy ones are like the systems that like you sign up for, right? Or um, like I know a lot of Kairos will go out and start their own thing and it's not working. So then they go sign up for one of these systems where they see 100 people in a day and they just adjust people. No comment on what I think of their professionalism, but they're also trying to pay their bills and I respect that. But those folks, they, they don't enjoy it. They burn out. They don't, they're not happy. I, I guarantee you they're not because they're that person who's forcing what they're not. And then they, they're with their kids at the grocery store and they're like, oh yeah, there's the guy that cracks my neck every day. But when my shoulder hurts, I went to this place. Mm. We see so many people who have a Cairo, they get cracked on all the time and we're like, cool, but let's fix your, your foot today. And I'd rather be the place that fixes shit. That's just me. So what do you think in terms of just like healthcare as a whole, like where do you see things going or what's, what's next for the industry as a whole? It's changed a lot. Um, in my career, I think consumers now are way more intelligent and there's way more resources for them. So I think some of them come in with ideas. I have, um, you know, this isn't a paid plug, but the first principles of movement mentorship with Liebenson, whenever you do that, you get to be part of their like chat group and he sends you way too many articles. Right. But I had a patient who infiltrated the Facebook group. He's an engineer. He's not PT Cairo, nothing. He's just a guy who somehow finagles his way into the group. And then he randomly comments like, Hey, I need someone in Austin. And that's how I got him on the table. I was like, so what do you do? He's like, what do you mean? And like, it was almost like he didn't want to tell me. It was a very bizarre appointment. Really nice guy. Um, but I was trying to figure him out. And, and turns out he was not in our field. But he got in there. And this guy was just kind of passionate about it. And so he was he's listening to all of his talk. And he's learning a bunch of stuff. What a nightmare, right? Like, you know, I, I think a lot of times people come in and they're like, have you heard of this? And if you're like, no, they're like, well, shit, I don't even have your degree. And I know more than you, you know? That's like every clinician's worst nightmare. So I do think that the consumers are a lot more intelligent. I think they've all at this point been disenfranchised with the system. And, you know, I have good friends that are MDs of all kinds, surgeons and stuff. And they all would say the same thing is that they're operating in this world that there's a major change coming and we're on the horizon of a big shift. But what I learned in New York and, you know, everyone thought I was crazy when we moved to Austin in 2000, uh, 2008, you know, we were cash. I've been cash pay from day one. I've never once been in network with anything. And in my clinic, WellSport, the same. Like nobody, we don't do any insurance. What I like about that a lot, and like I've seen, I would say probably 95% of the people that I work with now are in that same boat of like realizing that when you have to go like insurance-based model, it's always based on like what you'll get reimbursed for versus like what's actually going to be helpful for the patient, which I think is the biggest challenge with most of it. And the irony in that scenario too, is that like the patient ends up not really getting better for the most part, because you're only doing what you're getting reimbursed for. And then they don't tell anybody about it. And then you don't scale and then you don't grow. And then you don't even have like reviews for a good service that you did because you're just doing it based on what you downward spiral. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. So for somebody, let's say earlier stages in their business, let's talk a little bit about like the marketing side of things. So other than referrals, what if you feel like has been useful or helpful in terms of like growing a practice, getting started, getting new patients in the door? I've been a boots on the ground, um, relationships, and prove yourself shaking hands kissing babies yeah like my you know again the landscape has changed i think if i moved to austin today i would have to think smarter and differently than i did in 2008 like 2008 we probably did a race every weekend i mean i was setting up our tent all the time facetime with people talking to them getting them in so from that end i am not a marketing guru what i do know is that how you treat people that that woman i was talking about earlier pam she saw me in a race I talked for, for five minutes. I was like, I think you've got legit ridiculous pain. You have di disc herniation. You should minimum see your primary care, but I'd frankly go straight to a neuro and talk to him because she had classic clinical signs, right? Anyone could see this. And she was so impressed with that. Pam still sends me people. I haven't seen her in 12 years. Like she just once a year is like, Pam sent me. I'm like, there she goes again. <laughs> because she's just the person who says, ah, I trusted him and he helped me and it was right. He was right. And so what I would tell people on the marketing side is my company, I don't think has ever seen in a social media ad and been like, Ooh, I'm going to go there. Mm. We may have gotten a couple here and there, 
But I think our consumers, the people who've got a sore Achilles, they're going to ask their friends, their coach, their trainer. So from a marketing standpoint, it's more about building your personal network. It's about finding people that fit within your ecosystem and connecting with them and proving yourself to them because they will refer to you. A person who you know, does Groupon, they get a ton of no-shows. They don't see you as respect. They're just there for a quick like rub or adjustment or something. The person whose doctor says, you need to go see Kyler, they're going to come in. And you're already set up for success because that's like a warm handoff, right? So I think if I was starting today, I would be relentless with building my personal network and identifying who do I need to refer to so it can actually be an ecosystem and like I can actually add value to them and we can respect each other and have that. And then furthermore, I would really just not let them leave until they like me. (laughs) Like I would just keep peppering them because you've got to not only have the skills, but also like the confidence in what you're doing. You know, you hit on something that a mentor of mine gave me, one of the best pieces of advice that I carry with me still today. And he said that money monetizes once, but skills and relationships monetize forever. And I think about that a lot. And like, I think that's really to my question about like the marketing thing is what you're hitting on is that you kind of come at it from a two prong approach of like one, you actually have the skills that you can back up and say like, Hey, I can actually help you with this problem or better yet (laughs) refer you to somebody, which is obviously seems to be like the the crux of where, how you've gotten to where you are today. Cause like, I think what's interesting about that is that so much of that is rooted in just that idea of an abundance mindset, which you obviously, I don't know if it's natural or if you built it or where it comes from, but you seem to, (laughs) but you seem to have it right. Like, I mean, you heard that expression of like abundance for scarcity, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's your pizza analogy that you used earlier, right? right? It's like my pizza versus our pizza. Let's grow the pizza kind of thing. Yeah. Right. You seem like the kind of person that's constantly trying to like make a bigger pizza in some way, shape or form. Totally. Right. And frankly, I know I just experienced it. Even if I don't get a direct today benefit, like if I help someone else achieve, it, it comes back around one way or another. 100%. 100%. It has to. And frankly, like, if they thrive, great. That feels good. That's why I love, one of my favorite things is, like, when people tell me that they don't believe in karma. And I'm always like, I was like, so you think that if I do good for others, that somehow that goodness isn't going to come back to me? Like, Yeah. it's it's a, There's a billion words for it, right? Like, right. I, I totally believe, like, what you're saying. Like, my first year, you know, I wrote down, I would track my numbers. First month was like zero, one, zero, one, zero, you know, but if you're tracking it, the universe knows your and your brain is on that. And if that's like the, you know, there's all these cheesy books and people give them a bad rap, but I agree if it's a universe thing or an ecosystem thing, like at the end of the day, you're front of mind. Like these orthopedic surgeons I've developed relationships with over time. Some of them, I guarantee you, they thought of me because I sent them three people. hundred mm, percent. Because they're like, oh yeah, that guy sent, try this guy. And then you hit a home run. They're like, huh. Ah, pretty cool. And some of them are like, what the hell was that? And they actually care about their patients. By the way, that's the one you want to work with. But some of them are like, all right, you send me one, I'll send you one. And they don't really ever say that, but I guarantee you that's the mindset. Yeah. I've, I've um, one, one doc I'm coaching. She's a PT in, in California and she had an in with a gym, like a jujitsu facility. And I was like, all right, well, what are we going to do? Like, what are you going to say to him? Let's, let's like, you know, mock it out here a little bit. And we had a great plan. She's a really smart girl and she's going to figure it out. Right. He, he goes, unless you join my gym, I'm not referring to you. And I go, he said that to you. How long in the conversation? She goes, Oh, like two minutes. I go, that's the last person you should work with. He's going to do that once a year. He'll take advantage of some person who's trying to build their practice and get a member out of them. Cause he's such a, like you're saying a me, me, me short sighted, mm-hmm. not big picture guy. And what he should be doing is prove to me you're awesome right? Let's figure out if you're great or not. Cause I care about my members the most. I told her, I was like, not only is he not going to be successful long-term himself, but his members are going to start to realize that too. The person he starts peddling is a person that he gets something out of. And then maybe that doc hurts his people, right? Like what a nightmare, but that guy's only thinking about his short sighted stuff. It's, it's, it's crazy how often it is. The, the problem with that too, to pile on top of that is the short sighted thinking part is that I, I recently heard again from another mentor of mine was that the longer you wait for the ask, 
the bigger the ask can be, right? So if you're in the mentality of just like helping, adding value, adding value, adding value, and then when you really actually need somebody and you're like, hey, like COVID happened, I have no patience, like everything is like hitting the fan, I'm like in a shit scenario. Now all of a sudden that ask becomes really easy because like you've just built up so much like authority or trust or whatever you want to call it with that relationship that now that ask is like, yeah, let's do this. I would love to help you out. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I hate to talk about COVID because we're all so tired of it, COVID was, it should have been humbling for everyone. For me, it was humbling and we had a really strong practice and we're doing great and had all kinds of cool big visions and it was like a smack in the teeth, right? It was for everybody. But the other humbling side of it was what you touched on is we had patients for years. I had patients tell me, hey, dummy, why don't you do a 20 pack today? Because I'm going to come to you forever. So how about you do a 20 pack today so you get cash flow? Mm. And like I call my brother who did the spreadsheet. He's like, fuck yeah. (laughs) He's like, if you get 10 people to do that, he's like, your spreadsheet changes a lot. Yeah. And it was like, these, this patient told me what to do. Totally. Right. And it's like, because they trusted us and because they valued us and maybe it's because we're across the street. I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's what happened. And it was so humbling to be like, these people are sitting here like, Hey, I'm gonna give you more just to keep your group. And that's why we weren't, we didn't have to lay anybody off. That's why we kept our team together. And it's like one of those moments I'm most proud of. Cause it's like, you can be proud of when things go well, but when things are in the shit right. and then people rally, that's every movie we've ever seen. Totally. Everyone's got a down and then the up and the up feels good because of the down. And I think that's one of those deals where I look back and like, we had so many cool people around us that helped us out. And, and it's almost my job to build this thing up for them. And for these docs I have now, like we have our second doctor buying his house in this economy. Mm. And I'm like, that feels great. Cause I started this shit from scratch and now I've got a company where Two people work for me are buying houses and a third could, but she just doesn't want to. <laughs> Love that. It feels great. So um, I wanted to touch on, because this is something that I think could be incredibly helpful for this audience, is you have an academy that you are yeah. starting up. Can we talk about that? Yeah, basically it was kind of born from a friend of mine called me and just kept hitting me with questions. And he's a really good buddy of mine. And, and then we were hosting a seminar um, with another guy who's very well respected in the teaching circuit. And I took him out to an awesome dinner and got too much sake in him. And, and he's like, dude, you should do this stuff. And I go, yeah, but it's always got such a, just kind of like the Cairo thing. I keep finding these professions that have terrible reputation and then trying to disprove it. But I was like, you know, the practice management thing's got such a weird tinge to it. And, and, and he's like, no, you totally should. Cause you're just trying to like get people over the hump. And, um, so that's what I started doing for fun. And then picked up some traction and I started realizing it was actually forcing me to do cool shit for my own team. Mm. And that's like my hidden secret benefit is by getting organized and doing this stuff. Now my docs that work at Wellsport are getting the same stuff and we're doing zoom calls about the difference of talking to a hairstylist versus North Peak surgeon, right? These educational things that I've learned over time, we're getting it in video. And so this mentorship stuff I'm doing, we're just kind of bootstrapping it. We have four and a half clients right now. I say a half because my buddy, I always I say I can't charge him, but he calls me too much. Um, <laughs> but we basically do weekly Zooms. Everybody has my cell phone. They text me. They text me with problems. What the hell do I do in this situation? Some of them are clinical. Some of them are business. Some of them are helping decide location. The girl in California, we're helping her do her logo. Like we're just helping them problem solve. And I've learned a lot of shit. Like for example, the logo thing. Don't make a logo that you can't print on shirts. Everybody makes these cool, artistic, elaborate thing. Like the first one she got, she and I laugh. It was like a, it was like a scene from Little Mermaid. I'm like, what is that? Like, I'm not a marketing expert, but I can't print that on a shirt. Right. (laughs) And so it's all these little things I've learned. I'm just trying to help people with. Um, And we basically have two tracks. We have one for the people who are like the career starter. Like either I'm thinking about doing an associate or maybe starting my own thing. Let's talk through that. Like we have a whole file where it's all my paperwork legal. We have a checklist of how to register your business and all that stuff. But then the groups that I'm enjoying the most are the scale groups are the guys who are that guru, if you will, who built a hell of a practice and a hell of a following. We're helping them get over the hump because those are the guys who are married, guys and girls, sorry, who are married, have kids and they're, they're, they're dying. How could people find out more about it or where can people just want people to reach out to you or what would be the best place to get started on something like that? Yeah, I think right now, because we don't have a huge arm that's like marketing and getting out there, we have an Instagram, <clears throat> we have a website. We basically, you know, physiobusinessacademy.com. You can also look us up on Instagram, Physio Business Academy or Dr. Kyler Brown. All the content and stuff's being slowly rolled out there. But frankly, you know, on this, you'll probably put my contact info too. And yep. Just reach out to me direct because 
we still don't know if it's like a business we want to run. Obviously, our time's going into it. And we want it to be some, but we're really kind of going piece by piece and making people apply because what I don't feel right about is rolling out and having 100 members and it's not built yet. And so I want to do kind of more one-to-one problem solving and see if it's right for people and stuff. We have a strength coach that's doing it right now too, and, and he's he's been our most fun success story right now because just like all of us, he doesn't get business coaching, but he's a really smart guy and he's a passionate guy. So I think anyone who's remotely interested, interested – just start following my stuff, my content. And then if they want to sign up, reach out to me. Cool. We'll put all that in the show notes as well. Um, I have one more question for you, but before I ask that question, I just want to acknowledge you and say that you are a very passionate guy. You obviously (laughs) care a lot about people. I mean, it says a lot about like why you've had the success you've had just in health and healthcare in general, because I think the industry needs more people that actually just genuinely want to help people and not just make a buck. So I I honestly respect a lot about that. for you. (laughs) That's cool. Thank you, man. But final question. So let's say you were back day one of starting a business, you're Cairo, you're maybe practicing somewhere, maybe your PT, personal trainer, basically sure. someone newerish in their career and they wanted to make that leap. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to branch out. What's mm-hmm. maybe the best piece of advice you could give to that person just to get started, get started moving in the right direction? Like what are some pitfalls they could avoid? What should they be thinking about? What should they, what should they be doing? I love that. So I'm thinking about making the jump, but I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Great. I had this conversation an hour ago. The first thing is simple. Fixed costs kill us. Signing up for the big lease, getting four TVs in the lobby, that kills you. Patients don't care. They don't. I've had the worst offices ever. I basically still don't have good offices. We're a destination. We're not like a, you know, oh, it's convenient to me. It's right next to my grocery store, right? So what I would say is don't pay extra for frontage or talent or fancy gizmos. Keep it simple and make sure that you are in control of your costs don't sign up. Don't buy the nice car before you're ready. That's the, that's the one thing I'd say. Because you can survive. You can bootstrap. You can do mobile. You can bartend like I did. There's ways to stay alive if your fixed costs are low. Love that. That's the, that's the one. It's, everything else is, doesn't matter. That's the only thing. If your fixed costs are high, you can't live up to it. You struggle. Then you have to bartend four shifts instead of three. Pretty soon you're not even spending any time on your business. Downward slide. It reminds me of uh, something I heard recently about like one of the things that makes humans just amazing is the fact that we are adaptable. We're the most adaptable creatures on the planet. And so basically continue to be adaptable as much as you possibly can and don't have fixed costs so that you can move and pivot when you need to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty aware now that like the ideal is you sublet a room somewhere, right? Because if you're a newbie, they may not even want you to sign the lease because who are you, right? Um, 2008, I couldn't get a loan. The economy was in the dumper. Like if I wanted to, I couldn't get a loan. So we literally started with bartending money and credit card. My dad actually gave us a pity loan. He charged us 4%, which back then was an amazing deal, right? It was like back then the rate would have been seven and a half, eight. And we bought like a table with that, right? Cause he just helped us out. That's my guy. Who's the CEO bank guy. You know, <laughs> he can't turn it off, but I also didn't want a handout, you know, you know, how it is. but like, this is actually worthwhile for a pod. So our first office, if you will. It was like a, a sitcom like of a law firm in the 70s in West Texas was the design. We rented, it was a four-room suite. We rented one room. So we had no control of the design or anything. The, there were three other tenants, if you will. One woman was, I'm not making any of this up, was a medium. She talked to dead people. So people would come in, pay money, says, I want to talk to my dead grandma. Then it was us. And then on the next side of us was some woman who put like sensors on somebody's head and they would like, she would read your brainwaves, but she had no medical degree whatsoever, like none. And then the last dude was an acupuncturist who was a pretty cool guy, but I think he was pretty much done and just went back there and used drugs (laughs) and he was never there. And so this room we rented fixed cost was crazy low and it did not take me long to break even. So guess what? Now I'm paying rent and I'm buying food and you build from there. And it was amazing to me. We had a very influential guy. Like we got connected randomly dumb luck to this guy who knew everyone in Austin in the fitness world. And he came in and his face was like, what the fuck is this place? And we're like, yeah, man, we're starting out. This is a cheap, good spot. And he's like, it is a good location. (laughs) And you know what we did? We made his ankle feel better. And so he's like, all right, now we're talking. And so that was one of the keystones that kind of we built everything on. And and it was just, I look back, I'm like, what a joke. If I would walk in that place today, I'd be like, I would not put any of my doctors in this situation. But we went for it because it was the best situation at the time. And we knew it was a reachable rent we could pay for. 
we need one or two clients a week and we're like almost there. Life lesson, stay lean. I think that's true in business and in life in general. Always stay lean. And there's like this term and I just learned it a few years ago. It's called when we were planning our wedding, it's called scope creep. Oh yeah. Project managers know it like crazy. Mm -hmm. Everything Mm -hmm. is longer and more expensive than when you started and what you thought, right? My, my mentor always talks about that. He's like everything worthwhile in life is way harder and takes longer than you think it does. And I think that's a premise to always remember because it's okay if shit gets delayed. It's okay if it doesn't go perfect. You just got to stay kind of relentless on it and stay patient with it. But if you're smart and calculated and stay lean, you'll get there. And yes, I had some great lucky things that happened to me that gave me a boost, but also I fucking earned it. I worked my ass off. I know that I I could outwork anybody because I was willing to do it. And I think a lot of people who, if they get out of school and they're thinking about starting a thing, you got to make sure you have some experience to stand on and you also got to be ready. Like it's going to be harder than you want, but it's totally worth it. Before you go, I just want to say thank you for listening to the show and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you're looking for simple, actionable tips on how to market your health and fitness business or need help with your website, just go to coreyha.com. Thanks again and keep hustling, my friends.